pair of hikers from Rhode Island have been rescued after getting stuck in treacherous terrain on Mount Washington. At least one hiker expressed they were feeling symptoms of hypothermia. Officials tell us the hikers were brought to safety around 10 p.m. And thankfully, there were no injuries. This was no drill, but a real-life emergency deep in the White Mountains. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. I am. I'm live. We'll do it live. I have no idea what episode we're on now. It's, what, episode 34 after the crazy episode 33 with all those weird 33s popping up and then 33s after the fact. Remember that? It's so weird. Are you, are you into numerology? Is that your thing? No, not at all. But, I mean, looking back on that episode, it was sort of funny. Just like the Frodo thing, the Jesus thing, the minus 33 closing clothing thing, and then the episode. I mean, it's just weird. Like four things for 33. Interesting. The new world order has taken over. The podcast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of that podcast, do you have anything that you... I feel like we could go on forever about winter hiking, but like, was there anything big that you think that we, we missed? Oh, my God. Um, I, I, I struggle to think of anything. I mean, I know a few listeners have added a few things, but um, I think we covered a lot. I think if we had added more, it would have been too long for listeners. You know, it's like, geez. I guess it's yeah. a topic you could cover for hours. Like, two hours is probably good. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I, I, I and I was thinking about this is like I continually see people post the same thing around like I don't have any winter hiking experience, but I want to get out and where's the best place to start? And mm. I think my standard answer to that is always going to be, you know, if you're if you really want to just sort of test out your equipment, try to find like a flat place locally to, to try it out. If you're going to come up to New Hampshire and you want to get some good views, then I always say Mount Willard is probably the best place to start. I think that it's going to give you a little bit of up and it's going to be not that challenging. And then if something happens, like you're not that far from civilization, right? Oh, of course. So if you're talking about geography, then the other thing is like temperature and uh, just weather. Don't don't start out in a blizzard. You know, pick some modest, cooler temps. Don't go for sub-zero in a blizzard. That's not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. There's always going to be those like um, there'll be three or four of them, and it'll be three or four stretches of like, and usually these stretches go for like four days or whatever, and you'll get these crazy cold conditions, or you'll get like ridiculous wind and, and snow coming up, and you'll see a lot of people on social media will get out there and they'll, they'll sort of get on their soapboxes and say like, oh, don't go out, don't hike, don't hike, and yeah, in general, like don't go above tree line, but. You know, even when it gets crazy like that, you can do things where you stay below tree line or you stay flat or you just go shorter than planned. Um, sometimes that's a great way to test equipment. You know, we mostly focused on beginners, but like I remember when me and you did 
Remember when we did that hike on Mount Flume and Liberty when we did, we car spotted mm-hmm. and we went and we knew that it was going to be like minus 40 wind chill. Yeah. And you would even, and I even said, I was like, I don't even think that this is like a good idea to go out. And you were like, no, Liberty and Flume is a good choice because we're not going to be exposed above tree line for that long and you were 100 percent right and it was a good way to test out our equipment so if yeah. you are experienced and you want to go on that you know crazy weather you can do it you just got to pick the right place to do it right oh yeah that day was nuts i mean yeah. just like 30 seconds on that summit was enough but yeah. uh yeah but think about how much we learned on that on that trip too mm-hmm. yeah yeah being on the lee side the the less windy side of the mountain which is generally the the eastern side that helps a lot because we were trying to prepare for that up and over that summit cone and uh how to put on different layers and you know planning your your route and stopping points to prepare for the next step of the leg is important yeah yeah exactly and i learned like when you fall into a river crossing like your gators will keep you a lot more dry than you think they will Well, my garters hold my gators up, so the water's not getting in anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's becoming another thing, like cats, the garters. So, um, Cool. So we've got, you know, we got a busy show here, Stomp, but uh, do you want to move on to sponsors and, and coffee talk stuff? Yeah, let's do that. We have some donations here. Um, but first, I want you to know that I have my internet thing worked out. I called Spectrum the other day. Okay. And they said that my modem had not rebooted in 56 days, which is sort of interesting because it was rebooting every single hour, especially while we were recording. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on, the, the disconnect there, but fingers crossed, I think we're in good shape tonight. Um, so back to coffee. We have uh, five coffees were bought by someone, or should I say donated, uh, Cheeto bought five, and um, this is an interesting one. Giant Moon Penis bought us one coffee. Isn't that swell? <laughs> that was spontaneous. Do you, do you catch that one? Yeah, yeah. I wow, I've so done myself. Have to set the rating for the show as explicit <laughs> for Giant Moon Penis. That's the so that's a, is that the Instagram handle. <laughs> Well, I guess. Yeah. Well, no, no. It was just a donation. So they people can put whatever they want on the coffee platform, buy me a coffee. And this person just put giant moon penis. So, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it is what it is. People can do what they want. And uh, I'm noticing that some uh, entrepreneurs are starting to put their businesses up there and stuff like that. And it's all good. It's like, yeah, sure. We'll plug you if you make a donation. That's That's great. But um, just to as to long as talk- giant moon penis isn't plugging you, <laughs> <laughs> or do we have to? We probably should cut that out. Uh, well, maybe that, that's a good one too. See, this is getting sly. This is yeah. definitely pushing rated R at the moment. But uh, yeah, before we move on to the, the sponsors, I just want to say thanks to all the uh, the donations. Each week, Slasher reaches millions of people across the country and world through quality reporting expert analysis and thoughtful commentary that connects us to our hiking communities and the world we live in. This critical work is made possible by the contributions of individuals like Giant Moon Penis and others who believe in the mission of Slasher 
To create a more informed hiking public, one challenged and invigorated by a deeper understanding and appreciation of events, ideas, and cultures. Individuals like Giant Moon Penis that donate to Slasher ensure that we are able to continue sharing hiking stories that inform and inspire audiences. Donations of any size, no pun intended, help advance this essential public service. Thank you. How was that? That was a mouthful. (laughs) This is going to get us pinned off the platforms, man. This is great. So, So, all right. So the 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 GMP thing is a it's a meme, and I will. I'm not going to get into this episode. So, what I'll do a teaser is that there's a story behind GMP. Thing and I think it was a bit of a sort of a, 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 a sort of a tongue-in-cheek joke towards me, and I'll I'll reveal the backstory next episode. So you gotta, okay. now you have to wait until the next episode to know what all right that is all about. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, well, let's get back to reality here. We're gonna we're gonna plug um, Reckless. Uh, a special thanks to Reckless Brewing, where you'll find the best food craft beer and fun just 15 minutes from franconia notch many of the 4,000 footers and less than 10 minutes from the five corners and this is really cool somebody made a donation to the new hampshire outdoor council of a hundred dollars and it's nick grillo and he is a general contractor that's local to the north country here um he just actually did some work with my folks and um just nailed it with their floor their flooring is amazing so he's available for decks additions remodeling windows and doors fully insured 20 years plus experience so um it's nick grillo general contractor yeah nick's a good friend of ours so i'll put Uh, um, i'll put all this info on the uh the show notes here and you know we just actually nick just joined us for a hike recently so he's a good dude and does good work so definitely hit him up if you need any work done yeah, and just because he's a friend doesn't mean that we're plugging him. His work, no, his work is top tier. There's no question about it. it. Goes without saying. Very impressive. All right. So what do we get? What are we doing tonight? What is this all about? Show summary here. All right. So, um, Stomp, you ever you ever feel stuck at home and you get that itch to hit the open road and explore a little bit? Oh, all the time. All the time. Yeah, well, something I've always wanted to do is to take off for an extended period of time and just explore all the amazing national parks and scenic areas of the United States. Most people never get past the stage of dreaming about becoming a traveling nomad. Uh, So tonight, I'm excited to interview our friend Janine, who actually pulled it off and hit the open road with her family. We'll learn about what it takes to really make a drastic lifestyle change as we explore the world of families who are giving up their homes and turning to full-time travel lifestyle. Later in the show, we'll catch up on some recent search and rescue news um, and probably share a little bit of White Mountain history as well. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, all right. So yeah, so we're going to be talking about like full time nomadic life here. So hitting the hitting the uh, the open road in an RV. <laughs> I know, isn't that cool? I mean, I, I got to travel across country when I was younger, and it was an amazing trip. I can't imagine doing it to the extent that these folks do in this segment that you recorded. Very cool. I really enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, awesome. So um, I guess just to start off with, so we got a couple of things we got to. We got to clear up before we get to the segment here. But uh, beer talk, you drinking anything? 
Yeah, just having a little, like, um, not quite a whiskey sour, but something similar. I don't know. I don't even know what it was. Something. Just a homemade concoction. That had whiskey in it? No. That's why I'm hesitant. I don't even know if this is something you can do legally. It's um, rum and whiskey okay. sour mix, so I don't know. Maybe you invented a drink. If if anybody knows what that drink is, it's got to have a name. Every every drink has a name. It's like the pirate world meets the cowboy world. It's like some weird in between, you know. Yeah, rum sour or something. <laughs> How about you? So I am. I don't have any beers tonight, and we've had like these. Matter of fact, I think I drank one of these like probably ten shows ago. We've had these Bud Light seltzers in our refrigerator for months, and I was just like... You're still working on those, huh? Well, there's two left. There's a mango, <laughs> and then there's a black cherry, and I was like, all right, I'm going to finish these because I'm sick of looking at them, and I want to have like more space in the refrigerator. <laughs> so um, I have a mango Bud Light seltzer that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish up tonight, well, and I'm probably going to throw the black cherry one in the trash. <laughs> Locale. It's all right. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm easing my way into um, drunk November after sober October. Good stuff. Cool. All right. So recent hike. So I am. I'll just say for you the next like, two, three shows. Um, the thing I've been hiking a ton, and with the big finish hike and everything, you know, we've getting some construction done around the house, and my wife is just like, "You got to paint this. You got to paint that. We got to do the yard." Blah, blah. <laughs> so I'm probably <laughs> until I think. <clears throat> I think she's going, she's taking a trip right around Thanksgiving, so I'll probably sneak out like towards the end of the month, but for the next, I think, two weeks or so, I am like in like the honeydew list mode. Yeah, it happens. That's that's all right. So hopefully you've been hiking so that I can live vicariously through you. Yeah, well, you know, uh, this is part of the, uh, remember the joke, the 48 divided by two, you know, mm-hmm. when search and rescue folks only make it halfway up. That was my most recent, so I made it up to falling. Uh, no, wait, yeah, falling waters up to Shining Rock and then back. <laughs> but it was it was beautiful because every you know it's really funny. Whenever we get called up to that area, it's always mid afternoon to the witching hour, like five o'clock, and the sun's starting to to cast that yellow glow, the alpine glow, as some folks call it, and. Um, Man, it was just beautiful, and there's just a little bit of ice starting to seep into the rocks and the uh, the footpath all the way up to Shining uh, Rock. So it was nice, nice little hike. Awesome, very yeah. good. So hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have some some more stuff to share on recent hikes. But um, I guess we should just transition into my segment with Janine. But I guess not just to tee this up. Yeah. Um, when COVID kicked in, um, it was you know I wasn't able to do a ton of hiking for a while. And I got a little bit of an addiction on TikTok, so I was watching all these videos. And one of the trends on TikTok was these, like, van lifers and these, like, full-time RV people. And I sort of got very interested. And a lot of times it was, like, people that were, like, you know, they were basically converting, like, these, like, um, uh, Econoline vans into, like, um, you know, full-time travel vans with, like, beds and 
in kitchens and all the all the all the fixings. And then there was this also the sort of another version of it where people would like go on the road for RVs and they'd be traveling all over the place. And I think with COVID, a lot of people found that they had a remote work oper- work situation for the first time and people were taking advantage of it and kind of getting out on the road. So I was always kind of interested and I was watching some YouTube videos and it's just kind of an interesting thing. And then fast forward a couple of months, my cousin Janine uh, who she lives down in New Jersey, her and her husband um, had decided that they were going to go on the road full time. So they, and I'll get into it with the discussion with Janine, but they were not like, you know, outdoorsy type people as far as I knew. Um, but I watched them over the course of like six or eight months transition into sort of a suburban lifestyle. And then they hit all of these national parks and the kids got, and they've got three kids. So they got on the road and they hit all these national parks. They've got like these amazing photos that they've been posting on their Instagram account. And I was curious to kind of talk to Janine to find out how they went from this suburban lifestyle with, you know, they weren't hikers or, you know, super outdoors. They were more beach people. Um, how do they get into this lifestyle? So I figured it would be a good topic for the show because I'm, I'm thinking that there's a lot of people that are looking at a new lifestyle change where they may be working remotely because of COVID or, you know, they may be looking at, um, you know, looking at extended periods of time where they can travel and still earn income or even just like, you know, forget about working for a year and get on the road. So I, I talked to Janine a lot about sort of her background and, you know, the, her experience with the kids and learning and, and everything about traveling. So I thought it was pretty cool. So, you know, we'll uh, we'll have the we're going to jump into that segment right now and then we'll jump back and, and cover search and rescue news. It's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. So welcome, Janine. Thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you for having me. No problem. It's good to catch up. It's been a long time. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just for the audience's sake, uh, Janine is my cousin. So she knows where all of the uh, the bodies are buried, and she knows all the bad stories about me. Oh, not really. Not really. Let's go both ways, though. <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But I wanted to have Janine on uh, to do a segment on something that I've been thinking about a lot and I've become more and more aware as um, as I've gotten older. And I feel like this is a trend that has picked up um, with COVID. And even before COVID, I think this uh, the, the main topic that we want to cover here is sort of digital life, digital nomads or RV life or van life, whatever you want to call it. What do you, how do you describe it anyway, Janine? Like you're, you're basically on the road. Yeah. So we just call ourselves full timers now. It's like uh, full time RVing, full timers is the way that we classify ourselves when we're sort of kids are meeting other kids on the road. Got it. Got it. And is there like um, different subsets of these full timers? Like I know there's van lifers that are typically like I think of the van lifers as like the younger social media type people that are just in the smaller vans and then you're in like a larger fifth wheel right right we uh we went big so um we sort of always caveat it with you know um that this is temporary for us that we don't it's finite we only have a certain period of time that we're on the road um Mm -hmm. because we move so quickly but we're always kind of the center of attention because of our New Jersey plates. So <laughs> everybody wants to hear the story and why we're here and why it's the middle of a Wednesday and we have three kids running around. So 
Got it, got it. All right. Well, before we get into that, so just to tee this up for the audience. So like I said, Janine is my cousin. So we actually grew up in the same town together. So, I mean, we've known each other, you know, since we were little. And if you're not from, most of the listeners are from the New England area, so they'll understand this. But if you're not from the New England area, when you're a kid growing up, typically you are either a, you're a Cape Cod kid or you're like a New Hampshire, Maine kid and we were cape cod kids so janine's mom had the house down the cape so we would spend all the you know all of our summers going down the cape you actually spent like the whole summer there i would just visit for like a week or two to b- bother you right correct yeah that that was our thing water ocean the cape Yes. Yeah, exactly. So somehow I feel like when I when I got a little bit older, I had some friends that had places up in Maine and New Hampshire. And then when I married Kristen, you know, her, her parents had the place in Maine. So I became like I transitioned from a Cape person to a New Hampshire Maine person. Matter of fact, I haven't been down the Cape in 20 years, which is crazy. Yeah, that's almost a sin. That's a sin. <laughs> I know. I know. I got to get down there. I got to get down there. But anyway, so Janine and I, you know, we've known each other forever and, um, you know, spent all kinds of family events. And then as as life goes on, you get a little bit older, you sort of go your own ways. We both have, you know, busy family lives. And, you know, you moved from Massachusetts to New York and New Jersey, right? Correct. So I um, did that sort of transition back when I was in my, um, you know, higher education days. And then that sort of continued after my schooling through now into my marriage and family. So um, my husband's family's in the New Jersey area. So that's where I am based now, but he has a connection to New England and they spend summers on Nantucket. So um, that was our connection together and um, continues, continues to be so. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And um, the reason why I want to talk about this is to sort of set the stage because um one of the things I'm always fascinated about is people that make like drastic lifestyle changes and sort of what the motivation behind that is. So I'll just give you sort of my impression. So, you know, again, like me and Janine known each other forever, grew up together, family, uh, but you sort of go your own ways. And from my perspective, looking at it through social media and family events, when I would see you, I was always like, all right, she's sort of like, she's lived in New York City. She's in the Jersey suburbs. And I was like, she's a total like city girl that... Um, Um, you know, so when I got wind that you were going to be hitting the road and doing all this outdoorsy stuff, I was like, I wonder what motivated her to make that sort of a lifestyle change. And I wonder if she knows what the hell she's in for when she starts getting into these like urban, uh, these like uh, rural areas. So can you talk a little bit about like what, what, was there a spark or give us the background on what motivated you to go from sort of the, the suburban house mom to a full-timer. Sure. So um, I was through and through a, you know, Jersey girl. I, you know, did my shopping at the mall, like, you know, typical like suburban mom. Um, Outdoorsy to me was, you know, eating dinner on the back porch. And, you know, and then I sort of got hooked into this Instagram, um, renovating RVs, spending time in these fabulous places and um, and then COVID hit and we were sort of in the midst of this being stuck in a house, homeschooling, virtual schooling our kids. And fortunate enough for my husband and I, we own a business and so we were both home and around a lot. 
and it got to be, um, it, you know, it was fine that first spring when everyone was kind of stuck home. But as that spring became summer, and then so I was starting to look forward to the fall and think to myself, I'm going to be stuck in this house with my three rambunctious children, and it's going to be a Jersey winter. And we're, yeah. there's, I mean, there's, you know, what, 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 what's going to happen here? And that the school decided it was going to be a half day program. And so I was like, Oh my God, this is just not going to work. It's not going to work for me, my husband, the business, nothing. So that fantasy of sort of redoing an RV, being on the beach somewhere for a month, schooling the kids, swimming in the ocean, that was just like, Oh my God, we should do this. Um, and so that's what got, got us thinking about it. That's not what actually made it a reality. The, everything after that sort of fell into place and it really became something that was just sort of meant to be. Um, and uh, to answer the second part of your question, um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I, you know, okay. None. Like I thought when I first sort of spoke to you, like, should I buy hiking boots or trail runners that, you know, I was going to go to the Grand Canyon and uh, take the shuttle bus around and, and go to some viewpoints. And the the adventure and the trip itself, you know, um, took a completely different path. Um, and that's what now, you know, puts me here, has me talking about things like hiking and um, w- w- is so transformative. Yeah, that's awesome. And from from the point where you were and I think everybody dealt with this when we were, you know, when in in the heat of COVID, when everybody was dealing with remote school and virtual learning, like it was very stressful. And I think a lot of people sort of thought about like, geez, you know, is this going to be a long term situation? And how am I going to deal with that? So it sounds like you really thought this through and started thinking like, all right, we might have a plan B here. How do you go from you know, really sort of exploring and researching it to finally pulling the trigger and making a decision to do it. So um, one thing was when I, you know, sort of said to my husband, Kari, like, okay, I really want to do this. So then we started to get active in the uh, full-time RVing, blogging, um, YouTube community. And there's quite a lot of content out there that sort of hand, hold your hand kind of through the process. And once mm-hmm. um, Kari started researching and exploring that he sort of realized okay this isn't as hard as we may have thought you know he's in finance commuted to new york city every single day i'm an attorney you know we do have this business now but we come from very traditional very uh you know suburban type lifestyle so and then it was like okay we're gonna live in an rv so you know once we once we crossed the hurdle that it was doable and that it actually wasn't as hard and that there was a lot of resources out there, then we started the process of okay, let's look for one and and talking to some of our friends who had them and figuring out okay where would we go and is it is it easy to plan an itinerary um, and then the first major thing happened to us that fell into place was that we were fortunate enough to have. Um, a family in our town looking for a place to live. Um, they were, he was a professional athlete and they ended up renting our home. And so that was the first thing that dropped. And when that, okay. when we were presented with that opportunity, then we sort of said to ourselves, okay, this is kind of like a no brainer. There's just a short amount of, there's a short period. We feel comfortable with this. Now we can explore, you know, actually purchasing an RV and, and, a, and a truck to haul it. 
which we've never even driven a truck, either one of us. <laughs> I, I did kind of laugh thinking about you driving a truck because yeah. I, I just, it wasn't your aesthetic back then. No, and I drive a dually. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, I mean, you, and what is, so how, how did you go about uh, purchasing an RV in a, in, a, in a truck like that? Sure. So I wanted to go small. We were looking at like 34, 36 footers. We were looking at really old ones. Um, we were looking at small trucks and I have this friend who lives out in Sun Valley and she just, you know, she knows Cartwright nine. She said, you two need to go big. Like there's just, you, you know, a lot of people believe you start small and you start fast. And so we were kind of trying to adopt that. And, um, these great friends of ours were like, no, it's just not going to work for you. You need to find something that's big. You need to have a powerful car. And so we ended up with, um, a Keystone Montana High Country, which is one of the top of the line uh, fifth wheels. Uh, it, it, it's used, which was kind of important to us. There's a whole debate yeah. about, you know, new versus used. And then we, um, the truck was actually harder to find, believe it or not. We ended up with um, a Ram Diesel Dually. And we are so happy with the choice, the choices of those those both. It's, I mean, I renovated our RV and, and your um your uh, listeners can actually check us all out on Instagram and stuff. I did a complete transformation of the RV um, to make it what I call now like a tiny home. And that's one thing we did learn is that in this full-time community, you actually don't need to sacrifice very much. Um, We thought that we were going to be giving up a lot to live like this. And we actually didn't. <laughs> we pretty much have all the luxuries of home, um, except a dishwasher. <laughs> Got it. And the ki- and the kids. I mean, I'm assuming the kids are like anything. Like if even if they have a decent sized room, like they're probably were over the moon to be in an RV and have their little sleeping areas and could care less about like even though you're you're going from probably a larger house to a more compressed. Um, overall living space um, the kids probably love it they're probably jumping on the bunk beds and, and, and happy as could be I would think exactly they each have their own little bunk um, we made that a priority that they each would have their own little space but it's little I mean mm-hmm. they don't have much they don't have much room or privacy but we gave them you know we again you can see the song it's awesome you can see the whole transformation and their little bunks um, online. And, you know, I, I did them up really well, really nice. I gave them little, um, you know, USB plugs next to their little nightlights so they can sit in their little bunk and have their little electronic device if they want. And they have adapted so well. It's it, it was quite remarkable, honestly, um, especially my two younger ones. I mean, they're they are we're all outdoorsy now. Um, we, I have a whole different definition of that, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but we're all outdoorsy now. And especially my two little ones, you know, they don't, they're in their bunks when it's dark, but otherwise they are out and about and physically, like physically exercising. And it's just, it's a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, no, that's great. And so basically then you, you're able to rent the house, you did your research, you're able to get the RV and the truck. Um, what about the, um, I guess, the the culture of the, the full-timers? Was there anything, like, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, like, I, 
one thing that I would be curious about is, you know, the other people that you're interacting with. I'm assuming that you'll get a big mix of people where you'll get some people that are like super religious, other people that are sort of more liberty driven that, you know, may not be as religious, but are sort of like freedom loving. And you'll get like a big mix of personalities. Did you any concerns with the, the whole culture when you started to meet people or did it did it end up being pretty smooth for you? It was actually remarkably smooth and the community is like nothing we really anticipated. I mean, we, we sort of had all these warning things we were looking for and these red flags and these concerns and really all fall into the wayside. Um, We find that we're just getting back now after the summer into having more contact with the full-time community. The full-time community kind of hides a little bit in the summer when, you know, it's more the vacationers that are coming in and out of the RV parks. Same for us as well, because we wanted to squeeze in so much in such a small amount of time. We didn't Mm plunk down in a couple places this summer. We really, you know, hit the road hard and we were moving often. Um, but what we found up through probably early July and what we're finding now again in the fall is that, you know, the full timers are everywhere. They're all around you. So all the kids in the RV parks and campgrounds that you see, most of them are full timers, unless it happens to be a weekend. And so you immediately are meeting of these people and everyone's outside and everyone's having a cocktail or, uh, you know, sitting around the fire and, and. you you just everyone's just very welcoming very helpful we had an incident you know two weeks ago where we had some water um we were leaking somewhere and the neighbor just came over and just turned it off i mean they're just everyone's just and if you have a problem or if you need a tool or if you need anything like i looked out the window the other day and the neighbor was holding my dog I have three kids i'm like could someone go help the neighbor i don't know why he's holding the dog but you know everyone is just so nice and helpful um curious everyone wants to know like how we're we're out on the west coast from new jersey i mean they just like what are you people doing here (laughs) yeah that's very interesting so what was the so once you decided to head out you got all of your you know your 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 RV packed up and all your gear and everything. Uh, what was the itinerary just in a general sense? I know I, I remember seeing like you headed south, like I think you hit Florida and then you were pretty much like out West pretty quickly though. Right. Yeah. So, um, and this is all kind of interesting because the whole winterizing the rig, the rig was winterized and it was January and we were in Massachusetts. So we needed to like find this window get out of Massachusetts, get as far south as we could so that we could dewinterize it, fill the tanks. And that was, that was very stressful. That was like the first hurdle we had to kind of overcome. Plus we'd never driven this um, rig, which was like 60 feet. And we'd each had like two days of lessons. So that whole first experience was like, let's just get as far south as possible. So we did, we went all the way down to Key West and then we um, went the entire Gulf coast over um, to the Southwest. And we plan to spend um, the spring in the Southwest. Um, Since then, we came up the California coast all the way up to Washington. We had hopes to be in Alaska, but because of the border, we couldn't get the timing right on that. Um, We've done the entire Pacific Northwest. We did make it to Canada to go to Banff. Um, And now we are in, um, well, Utah, Wyoming, um, Idaho, to actually sell our rig we sold it and we're handing it over to a new family um and so that that'll be the last chapter here before we head home back east 
Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. So it's it's worked out well for you. Uh, and how long total have you been on the road for? So we've been on the road since the middle of January, and we have done 30,000 miles. We have done um, over 100 RV parks and campgrounds. And um, we have, I think we're on 32 national parks and 27 or 28 states now. Wow, that's impressive. So I could just, uh, one question I did have for you that I'm curious about as well is like, I can't count the number of times where me and my lovely wife have uh, packed up, especially when the kids were little and we were rushing around and trying to get everything going. And we ended up having like a little bit of a, um, you know, back and forth where, you know, clearly I was always in the wrong and she was always in the right, but we would constantly be fighting. So you have to like do this like all the time where you're packing up and yeah. moving out and like how do you get your system down without killing each other yeah totally so um <laughs> it's funny because people ask this question on a lot of the um in the rv community chat rooms all the time i always yeah. give them the same answer which is i am in charge of the inside and car ride is in charge of the outside and if we start screaming at each other about the way he's parking the rig I literally am like, okay, I'm done. I get in the car and he parks the rig himself, which to most people would be like, oh my God, how can he back up 60 feet in the dark? And it's like, you know what? We've been on the road nine months now. He can do it. I butt out. And same with him inside. And the few times that we really try to meddle in the uh, other one's business is when, you know, we break something. <laughs> yeah. but we both have our, So we both have our systems totally down pat. And now, now it's just a matter of, you know, getting our kids to do stuff, <laughs> making them help out um, and uh, be as productive as possible with the process. But we're, we're na- we've nailed it down. And um, I mean, at the beginning, it was it was hilarious, actually. We, I, oh, yeah, I can imagine. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, what about uh, the education plan for the kids? So you, you're basically homeschooling the kids. How old are the kids? So we have a 12-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 7-year-old now. Okay, so a huge amount of energy. You're homeschooling them. Um, that was not something you were doing prior to COVID. So no. can you talk a little bit about how that evolved? Sure. So um, New Jersey, thankfully, has a very lenient um, requirements for homeschool, which we were, you know, happy to embrace. Um, what we've basically done is used the um, standard core curriculum, the math books that they would use in school, and some of the other standard curriculum books, and we're just following those through very traditionally. But with regard to both their strengths and their weaknesses, we took kind of a different approach. And so um, Cartwright took on the task of actually learning one of the very well-known reading programs, which is Wilson. Um, and he uh, taught my two little ones that program throughout the entire spring to the point where they're both reading very, very well now. Um, and then my oldest is an avid reader. And so we are constantly studying new topics and whatnot with him. He did essays on um, things like Old Man in the Sea, uh, you know, tons of stuff with respect to the national parks and things in places we've been to like Mount Rushmore. But we just decided that we were going to cruise through the topics and the um, subjects that they were good at. 
and we were going to slow down and rewind and really focus um, hard on the things, their weaknesses and the things that they needed help with. And because it's there's no downtime, there's no bathroom breaks and recess and get in line, we can just really cruise right through it. Um, it's been remarkable. And um, I think the transition back will be still a transition and a bit of an adjustment. But in terms of in terms of the things that they needed to work with, um, especially the reading and the younger ones, drastically improved. And so I think um, I think it worked out really, really well. And I don't think it's as hard as people generally, you know, make it out to be. Got it. What are some of the changes you've seen in the kids from? And I've been actually reading a lot about you know there's there's been an increase in anxiety and depression among um, kids over the last probably 10 to 15 years. And one of the things that psychologists have been looking at is this idea that we've bubble wrapped our kids in extreme safetyism and especially living in that suburban lifestyle where you're, you know, you're sending them to school, they're in organized sports, they're never away from the family, they don't have free play where it's completely unsupervised. I feel like, you know, doing this lifestyle where you're, you know, you're moving around, you know, you're with them all the time, I'm sure, but I'm sure they get plenty of time to do free play out in the, you know, the different RV campgrounds where they're at. Do you feel like they've gained more confidence and have become sort of more um, self-sufficient with this lifestyle? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's for my nine and seven year old, it's mind blowing. I mean, when they get up like this morning, they got up, they did their school and they were off and they're off at the playground and the bouncy house that's here. There's a mini golf where we're at. They're on their bikes. I mean, they ride their bikes miles every single day. Um, they went into the gift shop here and asked the manager, I don't know, something or other, and they're painting rocks and they're doing all sorts of things. They take it upon themselves to just do these, do these things, ask for these things. It's just, it's remarkable about their engagement with other kids. I mean, the friends that they've made, they've made friends at every single camp and in an RV park all over the country. And I mean, the lists of people, um, and because of Instagram and Facebook, we can keep in touch with all these people. So they're following our journey. We're following theirs. Um, my older one, you know, he's 12. So, you know, he still has a phone and he's still sort of connected to some of the old routines, but you know, we haven't had television, um, for months on occasion we'll be in an RV park that will have it. Um, but I'll usually, I usually opt for the, you know, super spot with the fire pit over the cable television. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, they haven't, they haven't had those sort of things, but the idea that they can run around in free play and then, you know, we call them home for dinner just reminds me of how life was like back in North Reading, you know, 30 something yeah. years ago. Yeah, or even down the Cape. Where I remember we, we used to we were little kids and we would walk to go get ice cream down you know down the street from your house, or we would go to Hyannis Center on our own and walk around. So um, I feel like that's missing, and there's a lot of research right now that sort of points to this idea of free play and sort of. You know, obviously, you want to keep your kids safe, but when you apply extreme safetyism to the kids, it's creating anxiety in them where they don't have the confidence to to do things on their own. So it sounds like you've seen a great, uh, great benefit from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're not the only ones that have kind of adopted it. You know, obviously, at the beginning, it was a huge transition. And we have walkie talkies, so I can communicate with them and check in. And we have all, you know, we have all, you know, we've gone through all the 
you know, um, safe strangers and, and, you know, all the, all the normal things that you, that you have to do to, you know, be cautious and, and still be able to sort of protect them. But, you know, and they have to stay together if one comes back without the other, you know, but in terms of, you know, putting their helmets on and having the right gear that they need for where it is that they're going or what it is that they're doing. It's just, it's, it's awesome to see how much, I mean, they can pack up their little backpacks and they can fill up their water and they can fill up their, you know, um, little bubble things. And they just, they know what they need. They know they need their hiking shoes and they're just, they're so much more self-sufficient now that we've done this. Um, but we have done it like a routine. It, there is a lot of routine to what we're doing, even though it sort of seems like we're very nomadic. Yeah. Now, um, one thing, the other thing I did want to cover with you is I remember when you started, you have an Instagram. So I'll, I'll link this in the show notes, but it's Chasing Cartwright is the Instagram page, right? Yes. And I remember seeing, like, in the beginning, I think when you were on the East Coast, it was, like, pictures from the beach. And I was like, yeah, they're walking from the parking lot or whatever. But very quickly, by the time you hit the Southwest, it started to become more and more. It was like, all right, yeah, they're definitely, like, hiking into someplace. Like, they're not close to the RV. And they're starting to sort of get their confidence when it comes to exploring outside of just, like, you know, walking out from parking lots. So can you talk a little bit about how you and Cartwright kind of became a little bit more adventurous and, and confident in your your abilities to explore away from the normal areas that you could just get to from pulling up and walking outside a car yeah so i think cartwright had um i don't know if he planned it to be sort of a goal but he kind of i think almost had like a a premonition about it because when we started the the trip we were actually in nantucket and he would take the kids out to like Stanford Farms and the different places around Nantucket, and he would call it training. And we talk about it now all the time. We're like, remember we were training in Nantucket? And, but it was just like miles. Like, can we walk three miles? Can we make it back before dark? There were a couple instances in Nantucket when he was with the kids, and it was got dark, and he was like, I need a headlamp. And so there were, you know, and then, you know, then we started, and like you said, we were walking, you know, along the beach and doing kind of all that stuff. When we got to the Southwest, there was just, there was stuff we wanted to see. And and I think the first Big Bend was one of the places that, you know, we kind of got our feet wet. And then we got to Guadalupe, which is a national park. And it was amazing. We were kind of boondocking in this parking lot. And you can just hike right from the parking lot. And so we got up and we were all excited and off we went. It ended up being a very challenging hike. We were scrambling up ginormous boulders the whole way up um, to um, Devil's Point, I think, or Devil's Bridge, it was called. And it, it to this day is my 12-year-old's favorite hike. And I think once we all kind of explored that and realized, like, oh, my God, we can do it and it was fun, and it, then, then it just sort of spiraled from there. But I will say a lot of it is the kids. We were worried that my seven-year-old just couldn't do it. And she yeah. she's she's the best. She's actually, her and my husband are the two strongest of everyone in the family. Um, she's a phenomenal hiker. And um, my nine-year-old's phenomenal too. And my 12-year-old could be phenomenal, but, he, but he's 12. And so he's, you know, and so he'll hang with me um, more than you know than the other three but um the other three are strong and because of that it sort of pushed us all to kind of do more go further and that's exactly what sort of happened on now what's become a national park slash hiking adventure 
Awesome. Awesome. So there's a couple of places. So I've been to the Southwest. I've been up to Seattle and Portland and that area. So there was a couple of places that I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on. So just starting in the Sedona, uh, Page, Arizona area. So you talked about the Devil's Bridge. So you've, you've, you've done, that was the hike that sort of clicked for you guys. So that's like about a, what, about a four mile hike, I think. Yeah. So we did Devil's Bridge and we loved it. Um, yeah. It was funny because if I, we talk about this one because it was an early one and if we did it again, we would let our kids go out to the out the bridge. Um, yes. My husband and I went out, and we actually my Akari took my oldest out, but I would not let the other two go anywhere near it. I mean, I paranoid. I was like, no way, they could fall. Um, and so now, full circle, I would definitely be a little bit more adventurous with them and let them do a little bit more. But yeah, that was one of the first ones. Um, we did Cathedral Rock. Yeah. Um, yeah which was awesome out there as well. Yeah, so those two hikes, just for the audience's sake, so those are um, outside of Sedona, Arizona. So the Devil's Bridge is this amazing sort of natural arch where um, when you hike up, it's like, like I said, it's probably about a, a three or four mile hike in. And then they have this almost like natural, I would call it like a natural amphitheater that sort of overlooks the arch. Yeah. So you can sit sort of on these rocks and watch people walk out and people go and get their pictures taken. Matter of fact, me and Kristen years ago, we went, in the late 90s, there was a wedding going on right on the bridge, and everybody was watching from the, which was amazing. So, um, and then Cathedral uh, Rock is another great hike out there. So, Sedona's beautiful if people have never been there. It's a great place because there's like dozens of these like amazing hikes. And they, you, I think Devil's Bridge is probably one of the longest ones. The rest of them are like within a mile or two of the parking lot. You can, you can get yeah. to all these amazing sites. And Cathedral Rock is interesting because I was just looking at it today. And it's only like 750 feet in elevation, but it was, mm. but it's only a mile and maybe a quarter. So, and it's an out and back. And I mean, it kicked our butts. Like I was so afraid and there were so many scrambling points. And I mean, the kids blew past me. I actually, that was the first time my asthma sort of bothered me. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just, and now I'm like, no, that has to be like 1,500 feet in elevation. No, that can't be. Something must be wrong. And it's like, oh, my God, yeah. You, you, once you get into it and once you start pushing yourself and once we've realized as a family what we're capable of, now it's just it, – I'm just so excited because there's just so many more opportunities for fun hikes that we have now. But I will say we um, – Sedona was an amazing place to boondock. Mm -hmm. um, it is one is probably our, one of our most favorite places or second favorite place in the country to boondock. Um, and uh, you know, if we went back there, we would do we would do that for you know a longer amount of time. And um, one of the things that really excited the kids about Sedona was Slide Rock, which is a state park, and they can actually mm -hmm. do, like it's like a natural waterfall where they can slide down the rocks. And I think it, it was the small little things like that that we did with them when we were like, this is like real life water park, you know, and they got so excited and they were just so pumped. And I mean, we were just, we were just wowed by, you know, the different types of adventure that it wasn't just like walking in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful area there. And when you, when you say boondock, uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to tell you what I think that means. Okay. I'm assuming, and I, th and I think I'd probably pick this up on one of your Instagram posts, but I think that that means that you're basically going out to an area 
where you can just leave the RV without being associated with a campground, right? You're just sort of in the desert in a pull-off area that you, and it's just basically you and the coyotes and, and, and the kids, right? Right. So it's no connection, no water, no sewer, nothing. And it's typically on um, Bureau of Land Management, BLM land. And so Sedona has some great spots for BLM land. And one of the things that we've found since we've been in the Pacific Northwest, actually, is that um, it was easier for us in a bigger rig to be in BLM land in the desert because there's no trees. So when you pull into these vast amounts of BLM land that let you camp, um, you know, you kind of have to find a spot and you don't really want to be on top of anybody else. And so it's much easier to um in the desert to to kind of find a spot that's not um you know going to encroach on anybody else but not have trees once we got kind of into the pacific northwest we had a harder time with the boondocking but we absolutely love it and my favorite thing about boondocking with kids because you would think that i would hate it to not have you know water as much water as i wanted or as much anything but um my kids can run around and be as loud as they want and like they're not going to get lost like there's no place for them to go and there's nobody to take them. <laughs> so, yeah. like, so it's like, it's like this, it's, it's amazing. So it's just, I, I feel so much relief when we get to a boondocking location. I'm like so relaxed because we can just That's sit awesome. down and have a drink and have a fire. And it's like, go play, <laughs> you know? Where was the first place that you did this at? Um, so we actually boondocked on the Mexican border the in texas um and in hindsight that probably wasn't the most the safest or most wise decision but we did we were in a very beautiful it was more like um uh sort of like a parking rest sort of area on mm-hmm. on a on a river that had that was flown that you know sort of flew went through and um i mean it was great we loved it and and after we realized okay we can do this um we've we've tried to integrate that into our routine a lot more um it's it's easy now that we know you know how i can cook dinner and what we can have and you know how much heat we can have or you know understanding like our power and stuff like that um you know we can do it a lot more but i love it and uh that's awesome yeah very cool so when you look back now as you're getting towards the end of this journey what would you say were some some big mistakes that you made that you would want to do over and then what were some of the biggest surprises so um you know we made a lot of mistakes like with the rig and total like screw-ups that are I mean, now looking back, I wouldn't change it because I think it's kind of hilarious. But, uh, you know, something that speaks to the fact that we were a suburban family, you know, if you don't have, if you don't go through the checklist when you close the rig to hit the road, just stuff happens. And so our our biggest motto is like, we need to take our time and slow down. Because if we don't, you know, it'll, it'll cost us a lot of money and it could cost us a month in a repair shop. And one of the little things is that the doors in the rig, if they're not all closed properly and you don't bring all of the slides in, in the right order with the, yeah. everything being closed and locked down, like a door will like literally come off. And so, um, I, you know, I ripped the major door off at one point, which was, which was bad, but, um, the little cabinet doors come off like, all the time. And so as a New Jersey suburban family, 
you would think that we would like have a nice checklist and try for that not to happen. But instead, what we <laughs> what we did is we Amazon ourselves a pack of thirty hinges. So we just you know let the cupboard fall off. <laughs> just <laughs> just replace the hinges a new hinge and screw it back on. And so my kids think it's hilarious because they're like, we could just do this the right way. I'm like, no, no, we got more hinges. We're fine. Um, so that's one of the things that I you know. I think I'd pay a little bit more attention. Um, we've also had several leaks. Kari's been responsible for three major leaks. Um, <laughs> one was more like, you know, a flood. But um, so those those are the three things that I'm sort of ashamed about. But you know, they're they're learning. It was the learning curve. We knew that those things were bound to happen. Um, in terms of the surprises, I didn't realize that the trip itself was going to turn into like I mentioned before. Really. Um, you know, I target, I began halfway through the trip to target the agenda to national parks and hiking. And I didn't expect that to happen. I expected us to, um, Southern California, for example, we went to Malibu, we spent two nights on the beach and then we ended up, you know, going inland to Sequoia national park. So I really expected us to be a month on the beach in Malibu, um, and not moving so quickly to, to hike. That's awesome, and I feel like you—I feel like you've hit your your life quota at the, at the beach anyway. <laughs> so it's good to be in. Yeah. Although I will say, once we got to the Pacific Northwest, it, it just then it then it just became a different place. It didn't feel the same. The beach was mm. the same. The activities now are you know now we have a paddleboard, a kayak, um, a a dog. <laughs> so the beach isn't quite the same, you know, anymore. Yeah, exactly. So how did you, uh, so I, I noticed that you picked up a new family member halfway along. So how did that come about? So we knew that we wanted a puppy and we were debating on the trip or not on the trip, on the trip or not on the trip. Um, the type of puppy that we wanted was, you know, a little bit more challenging to find. And we happened to find her in Idaho. So we ended up with a silver lab from Idaho. Um, and the timing worked because we'd been waiting a while and she happened to come at a time that we were in that general area. So we knew we could get her, but we wanted the time to bond with her and people, um, especially the people back home think we're crazy for adding a puppy to this mix. But I have to tell you this, this community just generally, and especially the full-time RVing community and the retired people that full-time, everyone has a dog. Like we're like the only people that don't, um, and we were starting to kind of feel that it, you know, there's like, when you check into these RV parks and campgrounds, they're like, here are the showers and bathrooms are, and here's the dog park. And we're like, well, we don't have a dog. Well, we don't have a dog. And it's just every box. I mean, they don't care whether I have one kid or two. They want to know if I have one dog or two. <laughs> and so it got to the point where it was like, this will be actually be easy. Um, and so it's been amazing. She um, is was easily trained because we were, we're outside all the time. She's with us all the time. So, you know, she, she's just having a blast and um, she's growing up with us. And so the second big reason why we got her is for the transition home. We're hoping that <laughs> transitioning home won't be so hard when we have a pup with us. Yeah, and I know um, Stomp and I, will. we talked about this in another episode, but like the, the Appalachian Trail through hikers, you know, there's a lot of articles, and I know people that have been on trail, and they come back, and they sort of, they have that, that sort of off-trail depression, and I've got to imagine that, like, you'll get a little bit of that transition to, to get back to normal life, where you'll, 
you know, you, you'll eventually hit a routine, and I'm sure the kids will do fine because kids are very resilient, and they just probably will be happy to see a lot of a lot of friends, old friends, and make new friends as well when they get back. But are, are you worried at all about how how you're going to feel about getting back back to normal? Yeah, very much. I mean, both Carrie and I are, and we're. You know, we sold the rig that we're that we're currently in, and we're about to hand it over. And we're already, you know, mentally, um, we've already looked to to buy another one. Um, and it, you know, and obviously, it won't be the same. Uh, you know, and the ability to travel won't be the same. But it's definitely a lifestyle um, and a way of life that we like, and we don't want to let go of. And even though it's not as customary in New Jersey. Um, we're we're going to do our best to try to integrate it into um, the the life that we have back home. Um, I want to ask your viewers and listeners to um, you know help us a little bit with that transition because we're not we never hiked we were never outdoors um, in the New England area and so um, and and you know we have the kids so I would love to hear from them either you know through social um, on our Facebook page or our Instagram page as to like you know hikes that they would recommend day trips from New Jersey weekend trips um, in New Hampshire or Maine Vermont you know wh- what are the resources and things that that we have to us being back in in New England Um so I'm excited to hear what they would say. I'm excited to see what tips and tricks they would give us. Um, I feel like in different parts of the country, I know in different parts of the country, in most of this country, every, people have RVs in their driveway. Um, they have, they have, you know, every home that we drive by where we are right now has an RV. Uh, it might be yeah. a pop tent. It might be a fifth wheel. It might be just a trailer. But it's just my kids had never seen one until we bought one. Yeah, I know. It's not as popular in New England, I think, although I do see them like on the road. I matter of fact, I just got back from the, the Freiburg Fair and we were looking at some, I think we looked at like a 35 footer. We went inside and it was, it was pretty nice. Um, but I think when we when we publish the show, I will put all of your social media stuff into the show notes. And if anybody does want to give you advice, I mean, you're lucky. You have me. I'll give you I'll give you, I know, advice I know. you need in New, in New England. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, our, the audience is pretty good. So they'll, they'll definitely give you advice. What I don't know a lot about is like what goes on in the New Jersey, uh, New York area. I know that they do have the Appalachian Trail down there and there's some really beautiful spots, but I don't know a lot about it. But um, but speaking of beautiful thoughts, I did want to, before we wrap up, I wanted to find out from you, you know, on this national park tour, what would you say was like your top, you know, you don't have to give like exact number, but your top couple of um, places that you went that are just, you know, stunning from your perspective. So um, I fell in love with Zion. Um, and I know that Zion is, you know, you know, very visible in terms of um, people going there and whatnot. But the challenge of of the, you know, um, hiking the Narrows and hiking Angel's Landing were just, you know, remarkable to me. And I can't even believe that I was able to do them. Um, hiking the Narrows with my kids was just, I will never forget that experience. And not only was it beautiful, but we did canyoneering and rappelling and our RV park was wonderful. And I just all around, that was what was my favorite. Um, my car favorite was Yosemite. 
uh, and I had been there before, so maybe that's why I just, it, you know, it, when you're talking about something that's just picturesque and fantasy, and mm-hmm. again, we did a fantastic hike there, part of the John Muir Trail and Vernal Falls, and and, and that was, you know, it was it was splendid. Um, and so I think those are our two top. Um, my kids seem to like, you know, I, like I said, they liked Guadalupe and they loved white sands, sledding in the sand. I mean, so um, from a kid's perspective, I think it was a little bit, you know, it was a little bit different, their favorites. Um, wow. And then as far as, you know, your, so is that a lot of those covered sort of the, the southeast in the west anything in the pacific northwest that stands out to you or in the um the what is it the upper midwest when you're in like idaho and in montana in that area yeah so um we the pacific northwest is by far our favorite part of the whole trip um and we loved um olympic national park and we did mount storm king which is a phenomenal phenomenal hike um the the i think it was 20 I did 20, my, myself and the kids, we did 2,300 vertical feet, and I think it was six or seven miles. Um, my husband went a couple, 200 more feet, which was a little crazy, um, and scrambling, and, um, you know, we, we were on ropes and chains, and um, and it was just, the payoff at the end was phenomenal. Um, and, and that is a national park that's a rainforest, and, you know, it's got, it's just, it had so much of everything, we just, we loved it. Um but I think our all-time favorite state is Montana. Um, and, it, you know, Glacier um, National Park was was awesome. It was just so awesome. We saw, you know, we saw bears. We didn't do, we had um, some family visiting us. So we sort of did, you know, more, you know, swimming and enjoying the end of the summer um, and, you know, barbecuing and biking and whatnot and not as much hardcore hiking. But we still went to Hidden Lake and a few of the, a few of the big major spots. Um, but we would definitely go back there and, and do, do some more hiking. Um, and a lot, you know, as you know, like almost every national park then has a national forest, which has even better hiking, you know, tied kind of into it. Um, we're in a big RV, um, which we did not find terribly prohibitive to be right inside the park, right where everything kind of uh, where the hub of everything is. But there is a lot of rules and regulations now on getting the passes to get into the parks. I mean, there are places that you couldn't even drive into Glacier without the without the road to the sun. Um pass so i mean there there i was ahead of it thankfully but there's a lot of research that needs to be done depending on the time of year you go to these places and what you want to see wow well this was this was awesome and i wanted to you know i i had had it in my mind to reach out to you for a while because one of the things and i you know i'm not I'm not that close to retirement, but, you know, close enough to retirement in the next 15 years or so where I started thinking about, you know, as we go through life, like we're sort of in this like conveyor belt where you're like, okay, you got to go to college and then, you know, you can take a month to go backpack Europe or do some cool thing. And then after that, you've got to start your career and then you get married and have kids. And then it's basically like live your life until you're 65 and you retire. And then, yeah, then you can go on the road and do these things. And I think more and more, um, you know, I just wanted to bring you on to highlight that, like, you don't necessarily need to just live that conveyor belt life. Like, you can 
take nine months or 10 months to actually go out there. Now, obviously, like you have to have the financial means and everybody's situation is different, but you know, you don't just have to lock yourself into that lifestyle. Like you can break out and do some amazing things. So I wanted to just bring you on to highlight that. So I don't know if you have any advice for people that are sort of feeling like they're, they're stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you can do it for a week, you know, or you can do it for two weeks or a month or as, as long as you possibly can. I will say that it surprises us because obviously there's a lot of retired people um, on the road and in a lot of the parks, but in the parks are so well designed for that, for all ages. It's, it, I mean, the national park service has done such a great job. Um, our kids do the junior ranger program. There's a million vistas and pull-offs and short paved walks to waterfalls. So they have literally something for everyone, but if we don't, if we didn't go now at this point in time for our family, it would have been very challenging for us to go later. And I don't think that for me personally, that when I'm in my 60s and 70s, I mean, I know I'm not going to be able to hike into the narrows, into water up to my chest. So like, it's just not going to happen. And those people aren't doing that. And so, um, and, and that kind of, it almost made me feel bad and, and, but also feel very blessed because, you know, we're meeting these people in these parks and then we're going for the day and I'm hiking Angel's Landing. And or I'm repelling, and then we're coming back, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we took a walk, and we saw this, we saw this," and it's like, "Yeah, like that would be us in another twenty or thirty years." And so, um, I do feel grateful. I do feel blessed that we're able to do it now. We're able to do it with our kids. That our kids were able to do it. There was nothing they weren't able to do. Um, you know, I was probably the weakest link in the family. <laughs> so you know, you know, do it. Just do it. Is, is my advice. Don't worry about who's, how do you, you know, clean the black tanks. If my portfolio manager, finance husband can figure out how to clean the black tanks, anybody can, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, that I, I'll have to catch up with Cartwright to get his story on how he became the expert on uh, all those cleanouts. Oh, he, it, I mean, the guy can fix anything now. And it's just amazing. I'm like, I have like, he, he literally, he literally said he went from like, you know, laptop to tool belt and can fix anything. I mean, anything. And so, um, that's pretty cool that, that he's able to, to do that. And, uh, we both were, we were able to learn this lifestyle. And I think a lot of people plan it. Oh, we're going to do that. We're going to do that in 10 more years. We're planning for that. And, um, but do they ever do it? I'm not, I'm not really sure. And if, if your means can only allow you to start small, then just start small. And, you know, I think that for us, we will buy um, a small trailer and we will vacation like this a lot more. This will be the way that we go to Disney World next time. This will be the way that we go up to Maine. Um, this will be the way I probably go to New England for Thanksgiving. Um, we'll be in um, my trailer and I'll have, you know, all my luxuries of home and I can be with my family. So this is, um, this has become a way of life for us. And I um, would encourage people to just do it. Awesome. Well, next time you guys come up to, well, you go to Sebago when you go to Maine, right? Yeah, so usually. next time you got to give me some lead time and we will get you up on some mountains. Up I, we would love that. We would love that. Especially my little one. I have to ask you one question though, before we wrap this up, because you're the expert. Sure. So this is kind of, we need to know 
Now, I get it if you're, like, in hiking in water that you need some stability. And so you have, like, a pole or a walking stick, which we needed when we hiked the Narrows. But I need to understand the craze of poles. So I use – so this this is actually – we haven't really – I think we covered this in, like, the first episode. So I use hiking poles in almost every scenario. The only time that I do not use hiking poles is when I need to be scrambling up rocks and if i have a hike where i know okay i'm going to be two miles or so where i'm going to need a lot of like hand holding of rocks to, to ascend something then i will not bring my hiking poles otherwise i just bring them if it's flat or if it's gradual and the primary reason why i do that is because four points of contact on the ground are safer than two okay um and then the other reason why i do this is particularly on the ascents uh, when you're you're um, or the descents, I'm sorry. When you're going down, the poles, in my opinion, do help um, as shock absorbers for your your legs. So. Okay, I'm going to share this valuable information with my family because yeah. we've been just thinking it's some sort of marketing ploy. <laughs> yeah. The, so, and here's another reason why poles are helpful. Everyone's got them in its pavement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a little overkill. Like, if you know it's going to be flat all the time, like, yeah, you don't, and you're not going too long, then it's fine. But the other, the other thing that I will say is, when I'm out hiking and I'm in areas where, and I hike solo a lot, so when I'm out hiking and I'm solo and I'm in a narrow trail and I'm going around a curve or something like that, I'll hit my poles together to just make noise to alert. If there's a if there's a bear or a moose or anything else around that, I haven't really run into anything, but it gives me peace of mind to say like, okay, I'm going to hit my poles together to make a little bit of noise. Also, when I'm coming up on like a female hiker or something like that, like if I'm 50, 60 yards behind them, I don't want to startle anybody, so I'll hit my poles together or I'll make my noise with my poles behind me so they know I'm coming up behind them, and I'll usually shout out to be, you know, I'll, I'll make noise with the pole. They'll turn around. I'll say hi, how you doing? I'm just going to be coming up behind you, and that way they, I try not to make them nervous if, if you're in that situation. So polls are helpful in a bunch of different areas. Gotcha. Okay. That's very informative. I, 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 I've been like, you know, you see people on the, on the trails that are elderly or you see people that, you know, you know, you might've had knee surgery or, and I get it. It's tough going down sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, I just always wondered because I feel like everyone has them except for us and we're just yeah. if we needed them. <laughs> And believe it or not, the other reason why you'll see people with poles is if they're backpacking, most of the people that are backpacking are using ultralight tents, and they actually use their poles to mount, to set up their tents. Okay. So that's another reason why you'll see them. Okay. It doesn't, you know, like the hardcore hikers that have it, like I'm like, okay, well, they're like way up there and doing all these cool yeah. kind of stuff. But it's just more it, that um, – that uh, supply or accessory has like totally filtered down now to everybody and even the kids, which I, and you know, my kids, so my kids asked me to ask you because, you know, a couple of them wanted them and I just find that they'll use them as swords and trip over them. So, um, <laughs> so I said, yeah. <laughs> now you have your answer. So. My answer, see? Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much. So like I said, I will post up your social media info in the show notes. And um, thank you so much again. It was good catching up with you. It's been too long. And I think that the audience, you know, was really going to be excited to learn about uh, 
this type of lifestyle and you know i gotta try to convince Chris. so you guys gotta come up here and convince Kristen to get on the road with me because i don't think she's into it she's like she's like janine pre-covid where she's like i'm not into that so we gotta we gotta figure out a way to convince you don't her. have to give up any of the luxuries of life <laughs> all right all right she was impressed when we were touring them in the freiburg fair so but again thank you and uh good luck for your you know the finishing up and you know we'll we'll talk again soon yeah thanks for having me and i look forward to hearing what your listeners have to say they can find me on at chasing car awesome All right, Stomp. So, uh, what'd you think? You gonna get? You gonna buy yourself an RV and get on the road now? <laughs> That's probably the only thing holding me back is the purchase of the RV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I That's a big that investment. They, uh, I don't think that they skimped on their RV. I think it's a pretty nice one. Yeah, exactly. And that makes life a lot easier when you're doing that. Um, I mean, when I drove across country just out of high school, we were in a like a. a a tiny little pinto or something really really small so it, i can only imagine what it was like being in a giant rv so cool i i really enjoyed that mike um i've been watching some videos myself like rv tv is a really popular one it's just this guy in an rv driving across country and he documents the whole thing um you know listeners might like to check that out but um i thought that was great so I just want to clarify, like, are they, they're out of it now, are they? Or are they still traveling? No, so they sold it. So I think at the end of the day, they'll they'll have been on the road for probably like almost a year. Um, so I think that they, they sold it. They're basically um, going to be handing the RV over to the new owner. And then I think they're spending a little bit of time on the road still. And then they're going to be heading back. Um, home and getting back to sort of a normal lifestyle. So at the end of the day, I think they just sort of punched out for a year and okay. did that travel, which is pretty cool. Especially for the kids. I mean, what yeah. an experience. That'll change their, their life and their direction forever. No question about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I, and I touched on this a little bit with Janine, but um, even still now, like I, uh, we're dealing with, again, it's not my, my, daughter directly but my daughter's school has had four suicides in the last like four or five months and there's a serious mental health crisis with these young people and honestly like some of the stuff that me and janine talked about around free range and making sure that your kids are being raised in a way where they have some sort of resilient they're resilient to um things and they're not a hundred percent sort of like wrapped in bubble wrap and safe and you know they're out there exploring and and building that confidence i think that that's important like i feel like we're gonna we're having like a mental health crisis with these kids and anxiety and depression and i i don't know i feel like maybe exposing them more to the outs outside is good for them i don't know i don't have any answers but i just feel like maybe like this lifestyle may be building more resilience in kids I, I think there's some sickness in this culture, and I think, you know, raising five kids myself, I was that hawk watching out for my kids, and just to listen to her talk about boondocking in this remote place where you didn't have to worry about your kids, like they could just roam around the desert, and what I was thinking in my head was, what about the snakes and like the scorpions, like that's what I was thinking, but, but you don't get to work. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you always want to protect your kids. Exactly, but but it removed for them that that risk of the you know the 
the pervert or whatever you know in the neighborhood uh, it's it's sad but to hear about that suicide uh, statistic what how old is that daughter are you talking That's college my, age my oldest one in college yeah her college has had four suicides in the last like I think four to six months or something like that and I again I don't know the details on all of them I'm sure that they all have unique situations but just yeah. sort of as a, a as a general theme around mental health and building confidence within young people I think that hiking and experiencing the outdoors it doesn't have to be going in an RV for a year. Like it could be as simple as just like doing a hike to Mount Monadnock that maybe you didn't think you could do. Obviously, you want to do it safely. You know, listen to us to kind of get your experience. But I think just being able to sort of step outside your normal comfort zone and experience something that maybe you didn't think that you were capable of. Um, and I think Janine and, and, and the family as well, like they were not outdoorsy people. So I think that, you know, there's something to be said for finding things that you're, you know, you're, you're not experienced in and, and learning them. It, it doesn't matter how old you are or when you pick it up. But I do think that, you know, getting kids to the point where they can build confidence. And, and a lot of times that means that you've got to kind of let go and let them let them sort of experience life on their own and, and in a in controlled environment. But you don't have to hover over them all the time. Yeah. And hats off to them, too, because homeschooling is phenomenal. If if you can devote the time and do it, it's the best option for your kids. I mean, research has shown that over and over again. So, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, yeah. Life of adventure. Homeschooling. There was nothing better than, like, making my daughter cry because we were fighting over fifth grade math. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to my daughter. No, wait, 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 you guys homeschooled? No, no, no. But like, I remember doing like math homework. Again, like I tapped out around sixth, seventh grade. That was when I ended my math knowledge. But like, they teach the kids to do math differently now. So oh, like of course I, had, they do. I did like multiplication and division a certain way. Oh. And then I would try to do it. And they would be like, no, the teacher said you're not allowed to do it that way. And that your parents are going to try to do it that way. But that's not the Don't, right way. Yeah, I lived and through that too. And start coming. It's like, ah! I, I lived through that myself. That was nonsense. Yeah. What the hell was that? I oh my know. god i don't know you gotta carry oh, the one they're like don't no, you get can't me do started <laughs> yeah exactly anyway yeah but hopefully the hopefully the audience yeah hopefully the audience will enjoy it and we'll we'll hear but uh, you want to move on to search and rescue stuff we got a lot to catch up on yeah let's do it all right all right this first one i think you pro i mean this is like right in your backyard so i'm assuming you might have been involved in this one so this was going yeah. back to october 11th there was a um uh, fishing game was notified of an injured hiker on welch dickey and thornton the hiker was a 15 year old from north chelmsford and they were hiking with a church group of about 15 people when um, this young lady slipped while descending the summit of Dickey Mountain and suffering a serious but non-life-threatening injury. So she was with 15 people, so mm. a lot of people to carry her off, I guess. <laughs> That's not the case, though. You're talking a lot of young kids and things like that, so. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was warmish. Um, so you went on this, you, you actually helped out with this one? I did, yeah, yeah. I was one of the first few up with... Um, Jonathan Demler, a CEO from Fishing Game, and um, 
my my one story about this i mean it was a pretty generic rescue i mean she, low leg injury that type of thing and uh, we ended up carrying her down in a litter and uh, what we've been doing on that trail is just adding the wheel after the dicky ledges so or below the dicky ledges so you have that really steep open exposed section and we are adding the fat bike wheel to that lower section and it just makes a world of a difference carrying people uh, but the one funny story about this is I approached the young uh, person and said, hey, uh, this is what you can expect. You know, there's a litter coming up and this and that. And she just cut me off immediately and said, oh, it's okay. I know. I've watched the show. <laughs> <laughs> so she was a fan of Northwood's Law. So she's like, just shut me down. Like, no, I, I got this. I, I've been watching the show. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Did you tell her that the camera crew will be up shortly? <laughs> I don't know if I did or not. I mean, I honestly haven't seen those guys in quite a while, but uh, it was a good moment. And then I actually said to her, oh, you know that guy behind me, Jonathan Demler. He's like on the show all the time. You might want his autograph. <laughs> Uh, yeah it was pretty funny it was cute now was the whole like church group or whatever the whole group of people were they all standing around or did they all go down five or six were there and then the rest went down ahead ahead of her um and we had a full crew i mean a ton of people showed up and um that's been sort of the highlight of this year in general we are literally at 33 missions this year we averaged 25 we're at 33 which is phenomenal but that being said every single mission we have like 20 people showing up it's it's just we're in like this mode it's just a beautiful place to be for uh, search and rescue right now talented people engaged people skilled people quick learners i just can't say enough about the rescue teams right now they're they're just awesome is it like new members that are that are showing up or is it new members new members are a big part of it 40 to 50 percent of the the responders are new members and they're just like boom 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 i got this quick learners boom i got it i'm on it i can't say enough do you feel like was there a, was there a lot of older folks that had been involved for a long time that were kind of holding on because there wasn't a lot of volunteers and now that they see there's like enough new members they're kind of like okay I can step back. Uh, I can't really say that. I mean because we do still have the the first generation responders as well that are just kicking ass and responding just the same. But of the new recruits, I'm saying there's a quality now that I you know, I was talking to a member just the other night on this rescue, and we were trying to figure out, what about social media? Do you think it's social media that is tapping into this avid, um, ardent hiking community, as opposed to the earlier days where, the, you know, the search and rescue teams just didn't have that outreach connection, that networking of people that were online all the time? I, it's got to be part of it, because I, I just can't explain it otherwise. Uh, you, you know, you're teal goats. Those folks, those people that are just just wake up and have to roll out of bed with their boots on and go, you know, I think that's what we're tapping into right now. Um, not just this side of the state, but all the teams, and it's just really exciting to watch. Yeah, no, it's it's great um, that you're not dealing with number issues. I know, obviously, like during the week, it's it's a lot more difficult, but. Um yeah, you know, yeah, the, for sure. The more that you have, I mean, I was—I remember when we were hiking up on Cannon, and we were kind of talking about, 
you know, how how you would have to maneuver a litter up uh, like the high cannon trails. Oh, like, it's just crazy <laughs> to think about how narrow these trails are and the idea that you're going to have to, you know, yeah. how do you get somebody down? But you were saying like a lot of times you just got to like pass it off. And if you're going to pass people off on a litter, you need easily 18 to 25 people, right? Yeah. But that may tie in to this whole RV COVID thing. Like people may be around more. So perhaps that's another factor. They're home. Yeah, they're available. Too, actually. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? So it's interesting to think about, but the culture has changed. It's just more dynamic and just reliable, I guess is a good word. It's more reliable. I mean, the, certainly the fishing game is, is happy about it on the, uh, the Western side here. Uh, so very cool. That's just my anecdotal takes on it. Yeah, it is true, though. Like, what you're talking about is I wonder, like, there's probably a lot of people, too, that are moving up to the area. Like, for me, like I look at me personally, like, I, I'm working remote 100% now, and that's not going to change at once if COVID goes away. So I could move to anywhere I wanted to move to. The only thing holding me back is, like, I've still got kids in high school. But when that changes, like, I don't think I'm going to be staying where I live now. I would yeah. probably move up to New Hampshire and... You know, um, I don't know if, you know, depending on where I would end up, but like I would join a search and rescue crew if I live within the area. So maybe yeah. you're seeing more people that are avid hikers that were living down in Massachusetts that are moving up to New Hampshire and joining up. I don't know. Yeah, it's a possibility. We've we've had a lot of actually out of staters that have moved up recently that don't qualify because they don't have that domicile in the state. But they're always encouraged when you finally get your license, um, you know, reapply or try another group like Lakes Region. Mm -hmm. um, they're definitely up here and they're looking to help out. So it's very cool. Yeah. Okay. So uh, on to the next rescue here. So this must have been going on around the same time as the, the Welsh Dickey. So this mm. was on October 11th. Uh, yeah, it's like 2.30. I think the other call was like 3.30. So, um, Fishing Game was notified of an injured hiker on the Manning Trail on Mount Cardigan. And uh, this hiker was f 62 years old, uh, female from Grafton, New Hampshire. And she was hiking with a family member. So, they had summited Mount Cardigan and they were descending the Manning Trail just beyond the summit of Fire Screw. Uh, and so that's a, like a ledgy area there, I think, if I'm thinking about it correctly. Um, yeah. So the, the, the hiker fell and injured her lower leg, preventing her from walking any further. Uh, there were some other hikers there that were able to call for assistance, and they gave um, some, some food and clothing to keep her comfortable. Um, I guess it was a mix of the Alexandria Fire Department, Bristol Fire Department, and Bridgewater Fire Department that were the first to arrive to the location around 4.30. And it was about a mile and a half from the AMC Lodge on Cardigan. So um, conservation officers and members of the Upper Valley Wilderness Response Team were able to assist in the carryout. And uh, she was at the trailhead by 8 o'clock and was transported um, to... Uh, hospital in Plymouth for further evaluation. So pretty standard. Pretty straightforward. Injury. Yeah, and just yep. to um, talk about Upper Valley for a second, they are a volunteer team in the southwestern part of the state. They do a lot of work um, uh, with the New England canine team as well. Um, so you'll see their name sometimes, in, in particular over at Cardigan. 
and uh, Monadnock. So, yeah. Matter of fact, I want to. Um, I got to talk to you offline about that Mowgli hike. So I, w- I want to try to get that going um, in the next couple of weeks. Oh, nice! At like the um, uh, buddy hike or just. Uh, private thing i or? think just yeah i think just you know me and you and whoever if like maybe nick or, or chaga or something like that wanna, okay want to get out there i want to check that out sounds good cool all right so um next one here unprepared hikers on liberty springs trail stop me if you've heard this before um <laughs> 7 10 p.m on October 12th, Fishing Game was notified of a pair of hikers who were in distress on the Liberty Springs Trail. Um, the hikers had run behind on their planned hiking timeline, and they were facing descending the trail in the dark. You want to guess what, what, what caused them some, some issues? Did that fiery orb in the sky go below the horizon? It did, and you know what happens when it happens, right? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what ha- what happens. <laughs> it gets dark out, and if you don't have lights, you're screwed. So, um, which is interesting. So, after considering the challenges faced by the pair, it was decided to mount a rescue effort in order to prevent the hikers from becoming lost from the trail or injured trying to hike down the rugged terrain. So. Um, a conservation officer responded to provide lights and ensure that the group made it to the trailhead safely. So, um, two <laughs> 20-something females from Maine uh, were tired but un- in, uninjured. So, due to the unpreparedness of the hikers, um, the New Hampshire Fish and Game Department will be recommending that uh, that they're billed for this preventable rescue. So, our hmm. friend George, George, if you're listening, just a heads up, these ones are going to get billed. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray, George. Yeah, exactly. All that advocacy, um, all that yeah, lobbying. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but the, you know, the, it's funny. This is like, I think the third or fourth one that I can think of on Liberty Springs where this this scenario happens. Like, I think people just hike late. They start late and then they mm. forget the headlamp. Hey, when I was coming down uh, Smartsburg when I did that Al- Algonquin trip, I was, that's five miles from Sandwich Dome until Smartsburg, it's five miles. So it's pretty long. Halfway through, it started to get dark. And um, just out of morbid curiosity, I turned on my phone flashlight to see what would happen. It was pretty lame, man. It was terrible for light. No light source. I was just like trying to shine it. To, to my feet, maybe f- two or three feet ahead of me, but it was not great. So yeah. people just, just get those headlamps. They're like, what, 10, 15 bucks now? Spread the word. Yeah, exactly. And then honestly, like one headlamp is no headlamps in my opinion. Like I always have two. I'm paranoid. I'm, not, mm. I'm always thinking like mine's going to die. Yep. All right. So next one here is on Mount Monadnock. So this was October 17th. Um, so this hiker was on the White Dot Trail, a short distance below the summit. Uh, so that's a bit of a long way. So 42-year-old female from North Attleboro um, had suffered a fall at around 3.30 and was in need of assistance. Um, a lot of late afternoon issues, huh? It's interesting. So yeah. um, Monadnock Park staff, which Monadnock, unfortunately, it's it's good and it's bad. Like there's part there's a park staff like right at the entrance there that's all, pretty much always around. Um, so they they can jump on rescues pretty quickly, but 
that doesn't mean you should be doing anything dumb on Monadnock, but just for reference. <laughs> um, so the park staff, Good Samaritans, and then members of the Upper Valley Wilderness Response Team and, and conservation officers from Fish and Game responded to the White Arrow Trail. They um, did an assessment, and it was determined that they had to carry the uh, the victim down in a litter. Um, and they, I guess they determined that the quickest way off the mountain would be to ascend a short distance to the summit and then go down the White Arrow Trail to a waiting ambulance. So rescue teams endured wet, steep, and rocky trail conditions to make it to the old toll road in an, away, in an awaiting ambulance. So, so they ended up getting the person out around 7 o'clock. I don't know the White Arrow. Most of the time I go up. I don't know any of it. I'm so ig- ignorant about Monadnock. It's yeah. I've been on it twice. I go up. I think it's the Spalding Trail. I think I mm-hmm. always go up that way, and then um, come down White White Dot. I think is the the way that I've done it. But I, I don't know. There's a, there's a ton of trails there, so I don't yeah. Really it's know. like the to me, it's like the Bermuda Triangle of mountains. Like <laughs> it's just such bad news. You hear so many stories of people getting in trouble up there. It's amazing, and it's so it's short it's like low in stature right what is it 25 no, is it's, it three it's a i love i love Monadnock, and it's it's a, it's a tough mountain i think it's very accessible and i think that people know it and i think most of the people go up this like white dot trail and it's actually pretty ledgy hmm. and not that great for people that aren't experienced like that, that aren't comfortable in sort of ledgy open um open hikes i mean i go a different way uh, because me and my friends like to do some exploring. There's some secret spots there that I don't want to talk too much about, but uh, we do a lot of exploring on, on Monadnock, and it's a great hike, and it's it's actually a lot tougher than, than you would think. Mm. Okay. One of these oh, days. Anyway. It's just too far away now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll get you out there. We'll do it. You know what I actually, the, in my opinion, I really enjoy grabbing a few friends on a Friday night and you know, hitting hitting the road by like two o'clock in the summer, getting to Manadnock by like three three thirty, and then hiking up. Mm. And you spend the, you know a little bit of the sunset up there, and then you you make your way down. Maybe you got to throw your headlamp on, but like in the in the middle of the summer, like it gets dark at eight thirty or so. So if you get on trail by three thirty, you got five hours. You know, I love doing the Friday night Manadnock hike. It's a great place, and then you'll hit dinner somewhere around there, and it's it's fun. Yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah, for me that would be cardigan. Like that that same plan of yeah. adventure would be cardigan for me, just distance wise. But yeah, I get it. That's cool. Yeah. Kearsar South is the other one that I like doing that on. Is it's, it's oh, a yeah. nice like Friday night hike. Yep, yeah. And that's we the one do an with episode the, on yeah. The fire tower. The, right? It's got the fire tower, yeah. We should yeah. do a Friday night hike episode and we'll do that in the spring. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Good call. Anyway, so so last one that I have for this episode, so October 18th, this is pretty, at Black Cap Mountain. Um, so the female hiker, 52, uh, from Massachusetts, um, was at the summit of Black Cap when she experienced a knee injury. She was able to get herself about halfway back to the trailhead before rescue was arrived. So she got herself halfway down. She was not far from the, I think that, that trail is maybe about a mile and a quarter, mile and a half. So she's probably pretty close to the trailhead. Mm-hmm. CO uh, from Fish and Game, along with uh, North Conway Fire Department, um, was there with an ambulance. So she was also assisted by some good Samaritans and uh, had, her, had her own hiking party with her. So I guess 1230, they got the call. She was 
uh, at her car at the at the trailhead by 145. So not a big deal. Black Cap is you know right at the, the trailhead is right at the top of Hurricane Mountain Road. So it's not that far from the um, from the peak to the trailhead. Mm, okay, which is North Conway area. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Black Cap is a great hike, um, especially. I mean, the, the Hurricane Mountain Road closes. I think it's probably closed by now, so it's not that accessible at this point. But in the summertime, it's a great hike, for, uh, good beginner hike if you want to get out and get some really good views, uh, looking down into the the North Conway Valley and out to the moats. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's it for the New Hampshire Search and Rescue Stomp. That was a lot that popped off in that like week of. October 11th to the 18th but before that we had like a period where there was like four weeks with nothing yeah six weeks even I think it was six yeah there was zero maybe a couple escorts here and there but uh, no active volunteer team participation yeah so well I got one more that's a national story that like this was all over social media it wasn't as viral as the um as that other story that was like the, the change your voicemail, but it was like sort of on that level. I got like text from like, whenever I know something's I know viral, this is like, going. it's like my family members will text me and be like, did you hear this? And it's like, it's so made national news, but it was a lost hiker on Mount um, Elbert, which is in Colorado, which I guess is like their highest peak. But I, apparently it's not like that hard of a hike. It's just their highest peak. Um, I guess there's a lot of elevation, but it's, it's not a difficult hike. But apparently this person got lost um somebody was somebody called 911 and was like my friend hasn't returned from their hike and it turns out that like search and rescue was calling this person but they apparently they said that they weren't picking up the call cuz they just thought it was spam so they must have thought that like someone was calling them to um sell them a extended warranty and instead <laughs> it was actually the those the search and rescue team being like where are you so <laughs> Such a beautiful story. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm skeptical. Like, I need more detail. Like, it doesn't make like if you're if you're missing overnight and you get a phone call. Like, first of all, like I'd if your phone's so working happy. for you to get a phone call, like wouldn't you just call? Like, here's where I am. None of this story. This story makes no sense. It doesn't. Yeah, like, oh my God, somebody's calling. I'm saved. Yo, send the helicopter. It it makes no sense whatsoever. But apparently, like, it's a good headline. Yeah, I guess it is. It's like those stories of like I think there's like two or three of them that I've heard where like people are like mounting a, a a big search for people, and then it turns out that the the person they're looking for is actually like helping with the search as well and doesn't realize they're looking for them. Right. Those stories have popped up before too. <laughs> oh, that's classic. We should cover that one. That's a great story. Yeah, All right. Well, this is a good episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. 
Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.